Psalm 42, 1 through 8. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep and the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Dave, can't, uh, can't wait for you to unpack this for us, so thank you. Pray with me. Living God, help us. Help us so to hear and ponder your holy word that we may truly understand. And that understanding we may believe, and believing we may follow in faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and glory in all that we do through Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, in this time of pain and uncertainty here at ECC, we have declared, along with King Jehoshaphat, as he looked out at the trouble facing his kingdom, we have declared We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Having our eyes intently on the living God when we don't know what to do, well, it involves many things, but certainly it involves more than sending up some desperate pleas or having uh, prayer vigils, as important as those might be. It is a different enterprise than that, altogether, I believe. So fastening our eyes on God involves engaging with Him in the relationship we call prayer in the midst of our anger, our joy, our frustration, our dryness, our triumph, whatever condition our lives happen to be in. Engaging with God in the midst of of all of it. Now the language of that kind of prayer is unnatural for many of us. We need, I think, to be tutored. Uh, The the Psalms, as we've said, are prayers that teach us to pray. They teach us to rivet our eyes on God and deal with Him as we deal with the sometimes messy aspects of life on this planet. So this morning, let's let Psalm 42 teach us to pray. So, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants 
for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. So familiar words, right? From Psalm 42. At first glance, this seems like some pretty straight up devotional language. I mean, can't you just see this on the poster, right? (laughs) As the deer pants for streams of water, some beautiful scenery all around. So my soul pants for you, O God. You know, like something like this. Well, let it go. (laughs) Let it go. This is not where the psalm is taking us. This psalm is directing us to think of something more like this. Right? Living water, life-giving water was there, but it's not there anymore. This is a psalm of thirst, of unquenched thirst. Thirst that feels unquenchable. This psalm, this prayer, teaches us to pray when we're so dry inside, we don't want to pray. We don't even imagine praying. And again, that's what the Psalms do. They are prayers that teach us to pray. And we need instruction in prayer, especially when we feel like a desert, dehydrated, desperate, And the God who can quench our thirst seems nowhere to be found. Uh, So that's where this psalmist is taking us in Psalm 42. Uh, Teaches us to pray when we don't want to pray. When we don't think we can pray because God is absent from our lives. Uh, This is a deeply personal revelation from this psalmist. But it connects, I think, with every human being in every age. It names something we all know. Thirst. Spiritual thirst. And it teaches us to pray through it. So verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water. So imagine not a deer standing by this beautiful stream or living in the Pacific Northwest this week. But imagine a deer living on the Sahara Desert in the dry season, panting for lack of water. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. So, not the stuff of our devotional posters. (laughs) This is a psalm of someone on the edge of spiritual death. Dying from lack of living water, the presence of God. When can I go to meet with God? When? Verse 2. So this is the key to understanding the psalmist's heart. When can I go and meet with God? I thirst. I need something only God can supply. But he's nowhere to be found. When? When can I connect with God? It better be soon because I'm about to die from this thirst. Now, I won't won't ask you to raise your hands if uh, if you've ever felt that God disappeared from your life. Um, I mean, all of us would raise our hands, I believe. It, It doesn't matter how intense our experience of God may have been from time to time. It doesn't. Uh, matter how shaky it has been. It doesn't matter if our faith is 
two weeks old or, or two decades old, God seems to disappear from all of us from time to time. I mean, gone. It can be bewildering, especially if we've enjoyed a close connection with God, if we've felt him near us. So this psalmist, one of the sons of Korah, the superscript tells us, uh, so that means he was a priest and he was a worship leader of Israel. One of the sons of Korah describes it like this. I used to go. I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. The message, translation, describes his bewilderment at God's absence even more personally. I was always at the head of the worshiping crowd, right out front, leading them all, eager to arrive and worship, shouting praises, singing thanksgiving, celebrating, all of us together, celebrating God, his feast. Well, something is different now. Honest worship is no longer a part of his life. He is He is dying from the inside out. He is dying from the lack of God's presence. Now, this happens to everyone. This happens to everyone. Sooner or later, once in a lifetime or often, for a season or for what seems like forever, God disappears. This psalm, this prayer of spiritual hydration is uh, this spiritual dehydration is reaching the crisis level downcast he says downcast that's the psalmist's self description in verse 5 the Hebrew word behind this English word the Hebrew word is a strong word it means crumpled overrun it's a metaphor of despair This person is on the verge of giving up ever having a meaningful relationship with God. So this is an important moment in the psalmist's life, and I believe in ours. Now again, I won't ask you to raise your hand this morning if you're feeling that way just now. But it might surprise us if we did raise hands to see just how many of us do feel this way or something like it. Maybe it's a a dullness of soul that flatlines every impulse toward God. Maybe it's a, a desperation of emptiness that feels ready to explode within us. So, now I wouldn't be surprised at how many of us are feeling that we're in the spiritual desert right now. I wouldn't surprise, be surprised, not, not after all these years of being a pastor, uh, and not after experiencing it myself multiple times. Um, so here's an, something interesting in this psalm. There is no indication that this person has done anything wrong. There's no indication Uh, that this desert experience is a consequence of any missteps on his part, any sin on his part. Uh, Now, don't get me wrong. Sin can 
land us in this condition. Prolonged, unrepentant sin? Well, it does. It does cut us off from God's presence. If you're drying up inside, I mean, right now, today, if you are drying up inside because you're holding on to something you know is sinful, missing God, excuse me, missing God's mark for you, if that's you, stop it. Stop it. Repent. And repent means to turn away from it. Confess it as sin. And as we've pointed out several times in these past few weeks, if we confess our sin, He is faithful and He is just and He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But there's no indication in this psalm that unconfessed sin is at work. So let's see if we can figure out just what is at work here. Three words. Dryness, drowning, despair. The triple threat to spirituality. Dryness, drowning, despair. Let's let's start with dryness. Verses 1 through 4, we have in this psalm a description of spiritual dryness. Now here again, this is a person who has experienced a rich, rich life of worship, who has led others into a rich life of worship. But now, for whatever reason, that life has dried up. He's like a deer, panting in thirst, unable to drink because there's no water to be found. The water was there, but now it is gone. Early on in my pastoral life, I was this psalmist. Constantly in front of people, teaching classes, leading worship. And my soul was dry. So dry that I thought it was dead. I I couldn't pray. I couldn't imagine ever praying again. I I maintained some kind of sense that God actually existed. But I had lost entirely any sense that he was a part of my life or could be. But but wait a minute. Now, I made my living teaching people about God, leading them in worship. My family depended on me for food and clothes and shelter. I couldn't go on this way, but I couldn't see any way to go forward either. And a friend suggested that I seek out the spiritual direction of Dr. James Houston, the founder of Regent College in Vancouver, British Columbia. If anyone could help me learn to sink a spiritual well deep enough to sustain pastoral ministry, it would be him. So I went to him. And in my very first time together, he told me this. Spiritual dryness is part of every honest believer's life. See, dryness, it's part of the journey. When God disappears, it's not because he doesn't exist. 
It is part of the way he forms us to long for him and him alone. He places us in the desert. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. A statement containing a desperate realization. I've been trying to quench my thirst for God with something other than living water. Now, thirsty people, thirsty people are likely to reach for anything that promises to quench our thirst. Uh, Substitutes for the water that our bodies need. Substitutes that don't deliver what they promise. (laughs) We need to be trained to reach for God instead of all the God substitutes that are available to us. Now the prophet Isaiah 3,500 years ago asked, why spend money on that which is not bread? Why spend your labor on that which does not satisfy? So listen to me. Listen, he said. Eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. So it, it is a basic age-old human problem trying to satisfy our built-in desire for God, our longing for God, with things, things that have no eternal food value, things that by themselves, taken all apart by themselves, are good, they're, they're enjoyable, even beautiful, but which, as substitutes for God, cannot stand up to the task. Dr. Houston opened up for me uh, the testimonies of believers throughout the ages, uh, particularly, you, you might have heard, heard this term, the Desert Fathers, uh, monks who went voluntarily out in the desert to be stripped of their addictions so that they could long for God. And then they wrote about them beautifully. Um, and these are people who learn to accept spiritual dryness as part of the way God teaches us to recognize the difference between drink that quenches our thirst and drink that does not, cannot. God masks his presence. God masks his presence from us from time to time just enough so that we will come to recognize those things that we fill up in our lives, the things we turn to when we're thirsty, spiritually thirsty, things that just don't address our real thirst. So, with Dr. Houston's help, I came slowly to accept my spiritual dryness as a gift from God. And as I began to accept it, sure enough, there he was. God hadn't left me. He had just become obscured by by all the other things I turned to in my life instead of him. So our psalmist was spiritually dry. He was also drowning. Overwhelmed by the troubles of life. Drowning in troubles. That's the second great crippler of our spirituality. 
and of our, our prayer, which is hand in hand. Verses 6 through 8. Look at the images that he puts there. Verse 7. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All of your waves and breakers have swept over me. So even though large bodies of water surrounded them in their homeland, the Hebrew people were never comfortable with the power, with the mystery with the, the rampages of what they called the deep. I mean, nothing good ever happened on the water, the deep. They were terrified of it. And so in this psalm, one deep invites another deep to sweep over the psalmist's life. Waterfalls, waves, breakers, trouble. So spiritual dryness is one reason to feel that God has abandoned us. Wave upon wave of trouble is another. This man, this psalmist, experienced both dryness and trouble. And maybe you have too. Just when God seems most distant and our spirit seems so dry, we hit a patch of real trouble. We cry out to God for relief and nothing seems to happen. I mean, what else can we feel but that God must not care or that he has abandoned us? So I'm not going to linger on this point this morning except to say that if trouble in our lives is causing our souls to dry up, well, this psalm has help for us, as we'll see in, in a moment. The third soul-killing experience of this psalmist, despair. Losing the ability to hope or to even care. And again, verse 11, the psalmist describes his soul as downcast. He is giving up. So, I mean, to be just as honest as I can be, if you haven't, experienced a moment like this or a season like this when you felt like giving up on your faith? You will. You will. Again, in in my life, there have been a number of seasons like that. Giving up, finally, becomes the logical response to the deep dryness and overwhelming troubles that have come upon us. What's the point? What's the point of my faith, we ask? So look at at verses 9 and 10. The psalmist gives us language for this moment in our lives. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by my enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day, where is your God? And this this psalmist feels like giving up because he can't come up with a good answer to to those taunts. Where is your God? And his only reply seems to be, I don't know. Now again, with with all humility, I can tell you that if you don't feel that way, 
the way our psalmist feels, dry, drowning, despairing, if you don't feel this way today, well, you will someday. It is a normal, indispensable part of our journey with God. Unfortunately, we need moments like this psalmist is describing. We need them to shake off the dust of death that covers us from our fallen world and blocks us from living powerfully with God as he intends for us. So, what do we do? What do we do when we find ourselves in any one of these positions, never mind all three? Well, the psalm teaches us. It teaches us to pray. It teaches us to do. Three things. All of them fundamental parts of an honest prayer life of keeping our eyes on God. Three things. Open up to God. Pray what is true. And tell yourself the truth as you pray. First, open, open it up to God. Open it up to God. Okay, so you remember that I've said often, this psalm teaches us to pray when we don't feel like praying. I mean, when we don't feel like praying, for whatever reason, when we don't feel like praying, the answer is not to stop praying. The answer is to make our prayers honestly convey exactly what we are feeling. Open it up to God. Look at me, God. I am a mess. I'm crying so much my bed is soaked. I am downcast, on the verge of giving up. Trouble is overwhelming me. People are mocking me and you are nowhere to be found. I am in agony and you have forgotten me. Now, I don't know if you've ever prayed that kind of prayer before or if, if you've tried to and didn't land well. Or, but the psalmist gives us language if we don't have our own language. Gives us language to pray, open and up to God. I mean, see how honest and vulnerable this psalmist becomes before God. He doesn't keep it all bottled up inside. He doesn't put a good face on it triumphal face on it. He prays exactly the way he feels it. God, you are nowhere to be found. He brings it to God, even though God seems to have disappeared from his life. So if you take away one thing from this series on, on praying the Psalms, I hope it's this. Prayer is honest or it's not really prayer. It's something other. Prayer is honest. Or it's not really prayer. It might be hard for you if the only way that you know how to pray is formally. Or if you're used to putting a good face on things before you bring it to God. No. <laughs> Open it up. Open up your deepest and truest self to God. Address your problems, your dryness, your despair 
to God, even if he seems absent, and do it over and over again. We have to do this because those other places that we take our problems, you know, our, our idols and our God substitutes, they just can't deliver on what they seem to promise. We are left thirsty by them. Only God can provide what we need, but we have to take our needs to him and to him alone. Second thing, we're feeling this way. The first thing we do, we bring it exactly as we feel it to God. The second thing we do is we remember what is true. Look at verse 4. You see those words? I remember. Look at verse 6. I will remember you no matter how far away you seem. The Jordan, Mount Hermon, Mount Mazar. So those are distant borders of Israel. The Jordan River to the east, Mount Hermon and Mount Mazar to the north. No matter how far away you seem, God, I will remember you. Then look at verse 8. The psalmist is remembering what is true. See, and this is what we, we, and I would say I, this is what we often forget to do. You know, we might reach the point of being able to shake a fist at God and tell him exactly how we feel in our prayers, but rarely do we take the next step, remembering what is true about God in our prayer. But we have to. We have to because it is the truth. God has been faithful to us in the past. God is able to provide for us. God does love me day and night, night and day, never a nanosecond in which he does not love me. See, these true things... They get lost when we're dry, when we're drowning in trouble, when we're when our, in, in some kind of soul-sucking despair. But remembering what is true about God is part of the pathway back to, to a sense that God is good, that he is able, and that he hasn't forgotten us. <laughs> if all we do is vent at God, well, we'll feel better, you know, for a few moments. But we won't get better. In the midst of expressing our true feelings, we have to remember what else is true. God is able and he loves us. So, we remember. But we don't just remember <laughs> what is true we tell ourselves what is true as we pray. Self-talk. So you, you know that term, that, that dialogue that we all have going on in our heads uh, about ourselves. You know, it goes on all the time. And often when we're under stress, when we're in trouble, when we're in despair, it goes something like this. I'm so miserable. I've been forgotten. <laughs> I can't trust anyone. I've done all I can. I have no hope. And then we loop around and start over again. I'm so miserable. 
It's a vicious circle of self-talk that, that gets us nowhere. This, this psalmist breaks out of his vicious circle by telling himself the truth in his prayer. Verse 2, my soul thirsts for God, not for all the stuff that I've let slip into my life. Verse 5, put your hope in God. That's where it belongs. Verse 8, by day, God directs his love. If I'll just look beyond my trouble, I'll see it. Verse 11, see how he talks to himself? See the challenge that he puts before himself? So I can picture him standing in front of his mirror in the morning. <laughs> he looks himself in the mirror and he says, Hey, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Now, this kind of self-talk, it doesn't come naturally. It's more natural to talk to ourselves as victims. It really is. The kind of self-talk in Psalm 42, it takes patience and discipline and practice before it becomes a natural part of our lives. But it's crucial. It's crucial that we learn to tell ourselves what is true as we pray. God is with us. God loves us. God will work good into our lives, however they may seem at this moment. Now we know this is true. We know this is true because of the words of another thirsty man. Jesus, on the cross, as he put on his shoulders the sins of all humanity, all history, as he experienced at that moment his first separation from God as a result, Jesus said, I thirst. So, on our behalf, he entered a desert where God could not come could not come with living water. And because Jesus was willing to thirst on the cross, we never have to be separate from God again, from the God who quenches all thirst. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, powerful Holy Spirit, gracious, faithful Son, Jesus, hear our prayers as we contemplate what this psalmist, inspired by you, is teaching us in this psalm. Help us, Father, in the midst of whatever it is we're experiencing right now, to begin to recognize piece by piece those things we turn to to quench our spiritual thirst, things that are letting us down, causing us to go deeper into despair or trouble. Help us to recognize what those might be and help us, Father, to turn from them to you, living water 
that satisfies and quenches our thirst. So, give us patience as we learn this crucial but lifelong skill. We pray these things in the name of one who has experienced thirst and who provided us the answer for our thirst. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.